0: Our second lesson comes from the New Testament, the Gospel of St. Matthew. I begin reading in chapter 22 at verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher? Teacher? Which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the Word of God. I suspect that each one of us here in the sanctuary this morning have heard of the the KISS principle. KISS, an acronym according to the Rutledge Dictionary of Modern American Slang and Unconventional English. That means, keep it simple, stupid. Now, I'm not fond of the word stupid, and I told the scouts in the early service that I wish they would just eradicate the word stupid from their vocabulary, but I'm very fond of this principle, the KISS principle, keep it simple. It is a design principle that basically tells us that, that most systems work best if they are kept Simple, According to the historians, the KISS principle goes back to the military world. It was developed in the 1960s by a Lockheed aircraft engineer named Kelly Johnson. And he was the engineer that built some airplanes for the U.S. Navy. And he developed this KISS principle, keep it simple. I'm glad that there are variations. On the KISS principle, according to that same Rutledge Dictionary of Modern American Slang and Unconventional Language, you can use the KISS principle and mean keep it simple and straightforward, keep it simple silly, keep it simple soldier, and then keep it simple sailor. Don't care much for the use of the word stupid, but I really do like that principle. Keep it simple. Here on this day we run across Jesus, He's in the precincts of the temple there in Jerusalem and some of the religious leaders who have been trying to trap Him come to Him with yet again another question. And they come to Him and they ask Him a typical rabbinical debate question. We know this from the ancient world and the debate question that they brought to Jesus simply was, which of the commandments is the greatest? You need to remember that according to the the Pharisees, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. So the rabbis frequently were having discussions as to which of the 613 commandments was the greatest. You see, even from the earliest days of Judaism and throughout our period, we've always known that all of God's commandments are not created equal, which I'm grateful for that because um, I had some pig yesterday for my breakfast. So I'm glad that all commandments are not created equal. In the Hebrew Bible, pork is forbidden But even the Jewish community in the earliest days of the Jewish community understood that not all 613 commandments are created equal. So the rabbis would get together and they would ask the question, of all the commandments, which is the greatest? And they were usually looking for a single commandment to be the answer to that question. Hillel was a rabbi who was a contemporary, almost contemporary, of Jesus. And when Hillel was asked that question, which of the commandments is the greatest of all the commandments, Hillel answered, and this is a pretty good answer, answered with the golden rule. You should do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, here on this day when they came to Jesus and asked Him to pick one of all 613 commandments... Notice what he did. They asked for one commandment to be listed as the greatest of all the commandments. He gave them two commandments, sort of. And you notice he says first that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And perhaps you recognize that as being a central commandment commandment from the world of Judaism it comes from the book of Deuteronomy it is part of that creed of the Jewish faith called the Shema which is the Hebrew word for hear, hear O Israel the Lord our God is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and Orthodox Jews to this day will quote that multiple times throughout the day So Jesus gave them part of the core of their faith, saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Notice, though, that Jesus was not saying, and we all agree on this, that we should compartmentalize our lives. And people do that. I think there's something basic about human nature that causes us to want to do that. You know how we do it. We, We compartmentalize our lives by having a religious department, a business department, a political department, an entertainment department. But Jesus would never sanction such a compartmentalization of our lives. He is saying here that we should love the Lord our God with everything that we are. Our heart, our soul, our mind. And John and Mark's gospel, Jesus adds strength, perhaps our bodies. We should love the Lord our God with all that we are. We can't divide our lives up into our heart section, our soul section, and our mind section. We should love the Lord our God with everything that we are. And that was consensus among the early Jewish community and the modern Jewish community as they recite the Shema. But you notice, they ask for one commandment. Jesus gives them two commandments. After he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, he then says, this is the greatest and first commandment, and there's a second. I'm sure the Pharisees said, we didn't ask for a second one, Jesus. But Jesus says, there is a second. And this second one is like the first one. And then he quotes from the book of Leviticus. Now I think sometimes in Christian circles, the the book of Leviticus gets a bum rap. But the book of Leviticus has a lot of really good spiritual teaching in it. So he quotes here from the book of Leviticus, and he says the second commandment is just like the first one. And the second commandment is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus concludes by saying, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. They asked for one. They got two from Jesus. But I believe the reason Jesus does this is because these two commandments are so inextricably linked. They're two sides of the same coin. What Jesus is saying, and we really need to understand this to understand Jesus, is simply this. Yes, we should love the Lord our God with with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But the way we do that is by loving our neighbor as ourselves. He's saying that we don't just feel a certain way about God. If we love God with all that we are, that means that we have to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And our neighbor is not just someone that's part of our tribe, but our neighbor is anyone in need whose need we can do something about. By the way, John Wesley, and here at Wesley Memorial Church, John Wesley's a big deal for us. John Wesley said this is the height of living the Christian life. This is the best evidence of Christian maturity. This is the essence of holiness. To love God with all that you are, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the essence of holiness. Now I don't know about you, but I I was brought up in a church, in a tradition that seemed to imply to me growing up that the essence of holiness was all about staying away from certain things. Staying away from card playing. Staying away from going to the movies. The list went on and on and on. And I was trained in those early years that the essence of holiness is staying away from certain behaviors and certain people. Jesus comes along as does John Wesley, and says the essence of holiness is not what you avoid. The essence of holiness is loving God with all that you are and all that you have, and that you do that by loving your neighbor as yourself. So this love ethic is at the core of what it means to be a Christ follower in life. You know, I always get very, very anxious anytime I teach or preach about love because that word is used so often in our culture and that word is used in our culture in a way that is distinctively different from the way we use it in the Christian faith, from the way that we learn it from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I get a little nervous when I talk about love because I know what I mean when I use the word love, but I'm afraid that people in my hearing, their mind will go to the way the culture around them has taught them about love. And for us in the Christian community, because of the Scriptures, we believe love to be something very different from the way the world around us understands What they call love. If you go to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and look up the definition for love, the first definition, the primary definition for love in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is this. Love is a strong affection, strong affection, a strong feeling for another arising out of personal ties. Well, we disagree with that on both points. It's not a strong affection for us. It's not, it's not an emotion at all for us. And it's certainly not just something that arises as a result of the closest relationships in our lives, our family and our friends. You see, in the Christian community, we've been, we've been clear about this for 2,000 years, but our culture certainly has not been. Love is not a feeling at all. Love is something we choose to do. Love is not an emotional reaction to other people in our lives. Love is the decision to do that which seeks the highest good, the highest welfare of of your neighbor. It's to treat your neighbor in a kind way. And that's why, by the way, we we can love people we don't like. That's why, by the way, we can even do what Jesus said when Jesus says that we are to love our, ne- our enemies. He's not saying we should feel a certain way about people around us. That's the world's definition of love. He's just saying contrary, in spite of the way we feel, we need to treat those people a certain way. My wife's back here and she will tell you that I probably irritate her a little bit in the fact that, well, I probably irritate her in a lot of ways, by the way. But I, I probably irritate her in the fact that I, I, I don't like musicals. I've tried. I really have tried. There are two that I like, but, but typically speaking, I don't like musicals because I just want, on to get, I want to get on with the story and they just start singing in the middle of everything. And just lengthen the telling of the story. But there are two musicals that I like. Uh, One is The Sound of Music. I'm sorry about the passing of Christopher Plummer. The other one is Fiddler on the Roof. Because Fiddler on the Roof will will teach us something about the, the Jewish background of our faith. In the Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye, ask his wife... Do you love me? And she responds, in song, but she responds to that question. For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. If that isn't love, what is it? Again, in the Christian Jewish Christian worldview, Love is not something we feel, it's not an emotion. It's something we choose to do, and we can choose to do it, contrary to how we feel about someone. That's why C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes, who is, I think, the greatest defender of the Christian faith from the 20th century, says in his classic work, Mere Christianity, that we should not waste our time bothering Whether or not we love our neighbor, we just need to go on and act as if we did. That's love for us in the Christian community. It's something we choose to do. You know, it is wonderful when when our emotions help us make that choice. But we can choose to do it even when our emotions are not helping us to make that choice. Now, it doesn't mean that I have to choose to go out and eat dinner with you every Friday night. It just means I've got to seek your highest good. I've got to make sure you're fed. I've got to seek your highest good. I've got to seek your your highest welfare. That's why love for us looks a great deal like kindness to others. And of course in the Christian life, we cannot talk about love without talking about Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Christian theology, we can't talk about much of anything without talking about Jesus. We Christians, early in our history, invented a new word to describe the Jesus kind of love as opposed to the, the world's kind of love. We invented that new word in the New Testament It's called agape. That's the kind of love that really is true love. It's God's kind of love, and everything else pales in comparison to God's love kind of love. So we Christians cannot talk about love without talking about Jesus. That's how we Christians are. By the way, if you're if you're new to Wesley Memorial Church, uh want you to know we're a Christ-centered congregation, firmly firmly rooted in that dynamic stream of historic Christianity. And it's hard for us to talk about much of anything without talking about Jesus. We certainly can't talk about love without talking about Jesus because Jesus is God's supreme revelation of God's kind of love for us. And, and Jesus did not have any warm, fuzzy, emotional feelings there on Gogatha because for us, love is not what Jesus taught. His teachings were important, but for us... The primary thing about Jesus is what he did that last week of his life that takes up so much of the gospel story, his passion, his, his, his suffering, his death, burial, resurrection and ascension for us. Jesus did for us what we needed to have done for us regardless of any emotions he had at the moment. That's what love is in the Christian community. It's something we choose to do. It's not something that we happen to feel. Today is St. Valentine's Day, so happy St. Valentine's Day. I encourage you to use the word saint when you use the word Valentine because he was one of ours. He was a Christ follower. And when I think about St. Valentine I think about our concept of love. Now I know when the culture around us thinks about St. Valentine they think about pink hearts and roses and nice dinners and romantic love and those are all good things. I'm in favor of all those things but that's not necessarily the same thing as what we mean by love. By the way I'll give you a warning. If you choose to get your wedding ceremony here at Wesley Memorial Church, and we do have beautiful weddings in this space, if you choose to be married here at Wesley Memorial Church, uh, your pastors will um, spend some time with you to prepare you for the wedding and the marriage, and, and one of the things I know that I ask couples, and um, this really is important, but I also get a little kick out of the, the deer in the headlight look that I get from their eyes when I ask this, but I'll I'll ask couples at some point as we're talking about love and Christian marriage, I'll say, what is the difference between love and romance? Now, I'm a big fan of romance, but it's not the same thing as love. And that's why for us, love has to look Jesus-shaped. St. Valentine was a great early Christian saint. He's one of ours. He he died on this day, February the 14th, in the year 269. He died on this day. He was executed by Caesar Claudius II on this day in the year 269 because he had been busy, active, loving Christians who were being persecuted by the government under Emperor Claudius, Caesar Claudius. So he was arrested and he was martyred. He was killed. He died for his faith on this day, February the 14th in the year 269. He was beaten and then he was beheaded all because of his love for Jesus Christ and how he knew he could not return that love to Jesus Christ without loving his neighbors and particularly in that setting those Christians who are being persecuted that's what love looks like for us in the Christian community it doesn't mean I have to like you it doesn't mean I have to live with you but it means I will seek your highest good, I will be kind to you I will seek your highest welfare, I will make sure that your needs are met so Jesus said that the greatest of all commandments really are two commandments. We should love God with everything that we are, everything that we have, and we do that by not having strong emotional feelings about God, but we do that by loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. You know, if you just hear Jesus say that, it can become a tremendous burden for all of us, a heavy task that is laid on us to live that way but I want you to hear it today not as a burden or a task, I want you to hear it today as an invitation I want you to hear it today as an invitation from Jesus to open your heart, open your life to more of Jesus Christ you see in the Christian community love is a fruit of the spirit what we call love and that's something that the Spirit creates in us. The Spirit of Jesus living in us creates. We cannot do it on our own. Uh, we might can do the, the world's false concept of love on our own, but we can't do God's concept of love on our own. It's got to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit for us. It's got to be Jesus living in us. So I hope that you hear this command to love as an invitation and you hope open your heart your mind, your life to more of Jesus invite Jesus into your heart invite Jesus into your life ask Jesus to be enthroned in your heart ask Jesus to be the organizing principle in your life and he will do that for us Today is the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany and we're so into Jesus that we even keep calendar according to Jesus. During the season of Epiphany we've been looking at the story of the wise men and how that story has led us to understand that we need to make Jesus known to the whole world. But that season comes to an end on Tuesday night and Lent begins on Wednesday. And we sort of start over again. We, we start over again with the life of Jesus during the season of Lent, those 40 days plus Sundays. We look at the passion, the suffering, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus for us. And that season of Lent begins on Wednesday. And Lent's a big deal in the Christian community. It's our way of doing revival It's our way of doing a renewal season in the life of the church because that's what it's been for almost 1,800 years. So Lent begins on Wednesday and here we'll have three worship services. You can choose any one of the three. We have three worship services that will occur here in the sanctuary so you can socially distance here in the sanctuary, is a service, as we always do on Ash Wednesday, of confession, seeking the repentance of God, seeking the power of God so so that we can begin anew and again. So we'll have those services offered at 7 a.m., at noon, at 6 p.m., so that we can begin a Lenten journey. And for all of us, I, I pray that our Lenten journey will become for us a time where we fall in love with Jesus all over again. And we fall in love with Jesus to the extent that um, our neighbors will certainly notice. Friends, may I pray with you? God, for the gift of this day, we give you thanks. We know that our life is made up by all the choices that we make, day by day and moment by moment. But we know, God, that some choices bear more consequences than other choices. And we pray, God, that in these moments that we will choose you. We will invite Jesus once again into our lives. We'll invite Jesus to come and be enthroned in the center of our lives. Be the organizing principle in our lives. So that we may be filled with the fruit of your Spirit. So that we can love you by loving our neighbors. God, we pray that you will take possession of us more than we've ever allowed before as we surrender our lives to You. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.